charged him for that, right? And he was having a counseling session. But he started telling me about his past and his, and his relationship with his dad. And, and it was going on all because we started talking about this movie, Inside Out. Well, in the movie, the main character, Riley, has just moved from Minnesota to San Francisco. And we get a peek inside her head where the emotions, joy, anger, fear, disgust, and sadness are at the emotional controls. So Joyce seems to be the leader, and her job is to keep all Riley's memories happy. So Riley's memories are held in these, these orbs, and throughout the movie, sadness tries to touch the orbs, because if she does, they'll turn blue, and then those memories will become sad. So Joy's job is, no, don't let that happen. We've got to keep Riley's memories happy. But by the end of the movie, Joy finally understands that sadness had a great and important purpose. So let's watch a clip um, of that movie and spoil alert if you haven't seen it yet. It's been out for a few years, but let's watch this clip. So sadness saves the day. Sadness is the hero. Sadness is important. Riley said she thought she had to be happy about this move from her home for her parents' sake, but that wasn't working out for her emotionally. That wasn't the healthy thing to do. But moving from her home, leaving her best friend, her hockey team, those are sad things, and feeling sadness is important. It's healthy. But here's the key thing. Riley had a safe place to process her sad feelings. In the loving arms of her parents, that last visual was her in the loving arms of her parents. The problem is we don't all feel like we have that safe place to process our feelings. Or we don't have someone telling us it's okay to feel sad about certain situations. What happens for a lot of us is we go into survival mode when something hurtful or tragic happens. We're just trying to get through. And for a lot of us, our sadness is hidden behind anger. Anger is what's on the surface for a lot of people, and not the healthy kind of anger either, but the kind that punches holes in walls or or screams rude or obscene things at someone. Underneath anger is usually sadness or fear or pain or shame. But usually no one teaches us to get in touch with those deeper feelings, and we tend to react to situations rather than process the emotions that we have around them. That was so good. I'm going to say it again. And we tend to react to situations rather than process the emotions that we have around them. When we're in survival mode, we don't go that deep. As I said, we react. We don't process. Some family rules may keep us stuck. An unwritten family rule that I grew up with was don't talk about sensitive issues. And I've heard other people say in their family, anger wasn't allowed in our family. Or don't bring shame upon the family at any cost. These unspoken or sometimes spoken family rules. So we bury feelings and we don't know we're allowed to feel certain emotions because nobody said it was okay to feel sad. That it was understandable if you were legitimately angry about something. For example, if your family has gone through a divorce, it's okay to feel sad about that. But a lot of kids hide that behind their anger. That's a sad situation. Sadness would be appropriate to feel, even if it happened a long time ago. You know, maybe, maybe you've been in survival mode about it and haven't really processed it or haven't had a safe place to do so. Or if someone has said hurtful things to you, 
you are allowed to feel sadness around that. And I'm sure if I asked what is the most wounding thing anyone has ever said to you, you could recall it immediately. And I would say, I'm so sorry that it was ever said to you. That never should have happened. And if it was something like, you're stupid or you're ugly, I would say with an absolutely breaking father's heart, that's so not true. And do you know how I know that that is not true? Because I know my perfect heavenly father. And a good father would never leave his children thinking they're ugly or they're stupid. God absolutely does not see you that way. And it's his perception that is so important above and beyond anyone else's, even your own. Now for our scripture that's going to tie this portion up just so nicely. Lamentations 3, verses 19 through 24. It says this, I remember how I suffered and wandered. I remember how bitter my life was. I remember it very well. My spirit is very sad deep down inside me. But here is something else I remember, and it gives me hope. The Lord loves us very much. So we haven't been completely destroyed. His loving concern never fails. His great love is new every morning. Lord, how faithful you are. I say to myself, the Lord is everything I will ever need. So I will put my hope in him. Now I want you to notice something about this scripture. He says, my spirit is very sad deep down inside me. Present tense. But here's something else. But he says, but here's something else I remember, and it gives me hope. The Lord loves us very much. In sadness, we can still have hope. In sadness, we can still have hope because the Lord loves us very much. Sadness and hope can be on the table at the same time. Now, a client just told me about a very wise character named Daniel Tiger. If you have preschoolers, you're probably familiar. Or maybe even your kids are a little older, you might be familiar with Daniel Tiger from PBS Kids. Now, I'd never heard of him until a couple months ago as my client, who has a toddler, was telling me about him. But he told me about this, this song that Daniel Tiger sings. And let me read you some of the lyrics from his hit song, Sometimes You Feel Two Feelings at the Same Time. I was at the carnival one day. There were rides to ride and games to play. I saw the Ferris wheel up high in the sky. I was excited, excited, excited to ride. Can I get an Amen. But also a little scared, scared, scared at the same time. This is good preaching. Sometimes you feel two feelings at the same time, and that's okay. Sometimes you feel two feelings at the same time, and that's okay. Sometimes you can say that you feel two ways. Those are some wise words from an animated tiger. And that is a healthy approach to life. Sad things happen, and when they do, it is appropriate to be sad. And we can also have hope because the Lord loves us very much. His loving concern never fails. His great love is new every morning. How faithful he is. So we can say, the Lord is everything I will ever need. So I will put my hope in him. 
this message was planned before I heard of Dieter's passing. Uh, but I, I saw Renee's post on, on Dieter's Facebook page, and I saw that she was living out this very passage. I'm sure she's experiencing the greatest sadness that she's ever experienced in her life. And she has the hope of heaven for her husband. She's feeling two feelings at the same time. Hope and sadness can be on the table at the same time. Now, it feels kind of strange to shift over into another topic, um, but Pastor Mike said we're going to talk about rest, so I was tempted to end it right there, but we're going to talk a little bit about rest now as well. So Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That's Mark six thirty-one. Come on, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Did any of you see that terrifying movie, A Quiet Place? The one starring Jim from The Office where Jim wasn't married to Pam and there was no Michael Scott. If you're an Office fan, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I don't think that's the quiet place Jesus was talking about. But let's unpack that verse. Um, First off, Jesus is saying it. Jesus is saying it. Jesus is saying these words, so we have to be obedient to Jesus, right? If he says the words, we have to be obedient. When Jesus speaks, we need to listen. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, come with me. Come be with me. Come spend some time with me. Accept my invitation, and let's be together. He was calling the disciples away from the crowds, away from the work, away from the ministry for a time. Jesus understood the principle of taking a break. He was known to withdraw to lonely places. So he not only called the disciples to get away, he modeled it himself. As leaders or as Christians, we want to do two things, obey Jesus and be like Jesus, right? So obey his words to come away with him and be like him by following in his footsteps to a quiet place. So the second element of this passage is just that, a quiet place. This world is getting louder and louder, and finding a quiet place is becoming more and more of a challenge. However, wanting to find a quiet place is also becoming a discipline. We are so connected in this society, so plugged into our devices, and that is why it's becoming more and more of a discipline to want to find a quiet place. I, I can't believe how often I see earbuds in people's ears now just walking on bicycles, driving in cars. I thought that was illegal. But earbuds, everyone's plugged in, plugged in, something noise, something constantly going all the time. So even wanting to find a, a quiet place is becoming a discipline, which is kind of backwards. So let me uh, take you back to a more simple time, the, the 1970s, if, if for those of you who remember. Who remembers back in the day when there were only about 13 channels to choose from on the TV? And around midnight or one in the morning, if you left the TV on, you know what happened? They'd play the national anthem, right, and a picture of the flag. And at the end of the national anthem, the picture would turn to snow. Remember, do you remember that? And, and then there was nothing else to watch because all broadcasting stopped at 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. It, it just stopped. 
turned to static back in the day. Programming is over. You couldn't turn on your video games because at one point there was no Pong or Atari. You couldn't get on your cell phone because what's a cell phone? There was no social media to scroll through endlessly. There was no YouTube channels. There was only snow on the TV screen. We could go back even further in time before TV and before radio, but the point is, in comparison today, finding and wanting quiet time is a greater discipline than ever. But hear the words of Jesus. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. We need to obey and be like Jesus. You need to find that quiet place. I found a great model for this in the life of Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 3. I'm going to quickly go over this. Um, uh, Do we have the next slide up? There we go. It says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Uh, So let's fine-tooth comb this passage a little bit. First off, uh, as, as the screen says, the author tells us, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. It wasn't non-existent, but rare. Hard to come across. There were not many visions or divine revelations, this account tells us. It was hard to hear from God in those days. Do you ever feel like it's hard to hear from God? Now, hopefully hopefully you find a remedy for that as we move forward with this passage. So next slide, please. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. So the second thing to notice is it was late in the evening. Eli was sleeping, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. That's what shows us it was late in the evening or early morning. It was the still of the middle of the night. It was a quiet place. Next, Samuel was in the presence of God. Verse 3 tells us that Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And what did the ark of God represent? His presence. So Samuel was resting in the presence of God. And in those, in those days, it was hard to hear from the Lord. But thank God, we have the revelation of his word, right? Today, we don't have that problem. But in the quiet of the night and in the presence of the Lord, Samuel learned to wait and listen for his voice. And once he heard it, he responded with the servant's heart. And he said, here I am, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We have to discipline ourselves to find that quiet place so we can hear from the Lord. Amen? Now, my quiet time is at night. Marty's is early in the morning. And sometimes in my quiet time, I put my prayer songs on, my playlist, my prayer playlist songs on. But sometimes in the spirit of this, of this verse, I turn everything off and try to make the house as quiet as possible to kind of recapture what Samuel was experiencing, that late in the evening quietness so I could hear from God. And he always comes through because we have this, right? Always can hear him if I'm listening. Just need to wait on him. So in this noisy and constantly plugged in world, you need to hear Jesus saying, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I asked you earlier, do you find it hard to hear the voice of God sometimes? Well, he's speaking it to you right now. 
He's saying, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And the third and final element in Jesus' invitation to his disciples is that very thing, to get some rest. And sometimes that means saying no to good things, right? There's lots of good things that we could give our time to, but sometimes to get the rest that our soul needs, that we need to take for self-care purposes, for mental health purposes, we need to say no to good things sometimes. Just to give you a bad example from my own life of how I wasn't necessarily taking care of myself, in uh, when my when my father passed away, um, and I, I did his funeral that morning, and here was my thinking. Um, that night was youth group. I was a youth pastor at the time. So I thought, well, we're, it was February 13th. We were having a Valentine's Day banquet um, for the youth. And I thought, well, I don't have to preach, so I'll just go from my dad's funeral to youth group that night because, you know, I don't have to preach. So I, I, I made that excuse. And so I went from my dad's funeral straight to the church in the same suit that I wore to preach my dad's funeral, and I went to youth group that night. I look back on that, and they, what was I thinking? I should have went from the cemetery to home. But I had a hard time saying no to a good thing. A youth, youth group, good, would have gotten along without me. But that was, a, that was a, a, a fail on my part to take care of myself after doing something so emotional that day and then going to church. I should have went straight home and and been with my immediate family. So I want to implore you to serve Jesus with your whole hearts. And I also want you to hear the same Jesus say, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, one of my favorite ways to relax, and this may seem like a little commercial, but I try to proselytize this everywhere I go. One of my favorite ways to relax is by journaling. Now, I started writing in a journal on January 1st, 1991. I just picked up a spiral notebook that I had on my desk, and I wrote on the top of it, journal, and I just started writing. And in that first year, I tried to do it daily, but that became kind of legalistic, and I don't like to put that on myself because then I don't really enjoy it, so I don't want it to be something that I have to do. I want it to be something that I enjoy. Well, my enjoyment has turned into an addiction because my current journal is number 81, and I have at least 20 unused journals waiting for me. So a little obsessed, who's to say? But here's what I write in my journals. I write my prayers. I write down the scriptures that I've read. I write down daily happenings. I write down every time I get to go to lunch with Pastor Mike Todd because that's, a, that's an event. Um, I write encouragements I've received. I write trips, events I want to remember, feelings and emotions. I wrote milestones in my life and in my family's life. And studies have shown that writing by hand versus typing is much better for your brain. It's like a workout for your brain. Now, I'll just leave you with some quotes from some famous and maybe not so famous journalers. First one is by Rick Warren from the pastor of Saddleback Church. You might know who he is. He says, your life is a journey, and a journey deserves a journal. Amen, Pastor Rick. You owe it to future generations to preserve the testimony of how God helped you to fulfill his purpose on earth. It is a witness that will continue long after you are in heaven. 
Here's another one. Journals are intimate. They are places we deposit what we know, think, and feel. They reveal who we are and what we value. Journals are powerful because they offer the two things so many of us crave, authenticity and vulnerability. That's from Dick Foth, author and speaker, and actually our uh, former president of the college that we graduated from. And here's another one. It's an odd idea for someone like me to keep a diary, not only because I have never done so before, but because it seems to me that neither I, nor for that matter, anyone else, will be interested in the disclosings of a 13-year-old schoolgirl, Anne Frank. However you find rest, find it. And be attentive to Jesus' guidelines. May it be with him. May it be a retreat from the normal. May it be in a quiet place. And may it truly be restful. Can we bow our heads today? Lord, I was just thankful to be here. Um, Even though the church is grieving. To hear this body still singing your praises and talking about how good you are. Man, that's some mature Christianity right there. So God, help us just to be able to marry these kinds of things. Our sadness and our hope. And also to be able to find rest when this world is so unpredictable and hurtful sometimes. Everything we've talked about today, God, I pray it will gel for every, everyone in the room. So, Lord, we are grieving, and we have hope in you. And, Lord, even though we are sad, we can still find rest when we come away with you to a quiet place by ourselves. May we want that, God. May the earbuds be pulled out, and may we find that place to hear your voice speak to us. So God, do what only you can do in this season of life for these children that you love here at Calvary. Holy Spirit, I'm so glad your titles are comforter and counselor. Please be at such great work right now. But God, mostly we're just so thankful for the hope that we have in you, and that your love, Lord, is what we can rely on no matter what this world throws at us. So thank you so much, God, for your word that leads us, encourages us, and guides us. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. God bless you, family. We love you.